Bobby Hurley up the floor with Leitner. They throw it to the left of the floor. Leitner catches, comes down, dribbles, shoots, Seconds to Madness, your college basketball podcast. I'm Russell Hainline, joined as always from the Five Starter Crew. We've got K Bad. How's it going, KB? What's up, bro? How you doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. Uh, no major complaints. Uh, Duke did not lose to Georgia Tech. That would have that would have ruined my week. Okay. That would have ruined my week. So understandable. I'm, you, on the other hand, have had a very good week. KB, I guess I, I can let you lead the way with your all-week first-team selection. I, I, I imagine I know at least one of the people who will be on it. Yeah, um, I'm not going to lead off with him uh, because this guy had an um, unbelievable week. I'm going to start off with St. John Shamori Pons, um, the repeat winner, uh, 26 points, 5 rebounds, and 5 assists in the Red Storms, 79-75, stunning victory over Villanova. He followed that up with 44 points in their 86-78 win over Marquette. Yeah, St. John's winning at home versus a very, you know, admittedly flawed Duke team was very surprising, you know, to everybody with good reason. Uh, St. John's winning at Villanova. Now, granted, Villanova, I, I know they were down two people. They were down, like, Pascal. They were down Booth. But still, the, they were a 97%. I think they were, like, a 20-point favorite in Vegas baffling baffling but you know the thing is and we talked about this early on in the season when we discussed St. John's like you actually saw that they had pieces they had talent you know and I thought they would have been a lot more competitive at the early part of their conference schedule than they were but as the season has gone on they've become a lot more confident as a team they settled in a little bit and now that bottom part of the Big East I mean you know I don't think anybody would expected DePaul to be Providence the way they did um, Georgetown's now won two games in a row. They beat Seton Hall. They beat Butler tonight, and now we've seen St. John's surge. So, a lot of those, you know, mid upper tier big team, big ten, big East teams who maybe thought that, you know, games against St. John's, games against DePaul, games against Georgetown two weeks ago may have been gimme wins. Now they're looking at they're going to be tough games. So if you need some some victories going down the stretch, if you're on that bubble, you know, you you can't look at those games and say those are gimmies anymore. Right. Yeah, I, th- I think the Big East and uh, the SEC and the ACC are all conferences like that this year. And, th- and then, obviously, the Big 12 goes without saying. Yeah, you know, uh, talking with some of my fellow Duke fans just about, like, you know, uh, how many losses will Duke finish with, you know, I, I think at this time of year, everybody, especially a team that's really good and that's been cruising, whether they admit it or not, they look ahead of people. You know what I mean? Like... Uh, they they look ahead to like what what's coming whether they are conscious of that decision or not and you know I, I'm sure that they knew that they were going to be playing Butler who you know beat them earlier in the season a couple of days after that St John's game and they may have just got caught you know uh, with their pants down a little bit you know I let me ask you a question. Worry, yeah. do you think that's possible after the Duke after the win over Duke 
Do you think that Jay Wright did not hammer it home, like, lead up to that game, like, this team can beat us? At home, though? I, I mean, like, it's one thing It's one thing for the coach. I'm sure the coach said it. It's mm-hmm. another thing for a player to mentally wrap their mind around the fact that here comes a team that even after a Duke, even after the Duke win is still 0-11 and in conference, is still 11-13 and overall at this point. You know they've got they've got I'm I'm sure the scout in scouting they probably thought primarily okay pawns it's mostly pawns right and they also probably thought we're gonna score at will it took Villanova shooting eight for thirty three from three to lose that game and we've talked about this on the show plenty of times as well Villanova is just as capable of shooting themselves out of games as they are winning an immense number of games in a row with this strategy mm-hmm. you know and St John's I think the record has obviously not been indicative of what they've been capable of doing. They're a top 25 defense in the country. They turn over teams really well. Mm -hmm. Uh, They pressure the ball really well. And while Villanova did a good job not turning the ball over really, uh, they certainly struggled from the perimeter. And because they were such a perimeter-oriented team, I mean, that's that's problematic when you get such a large chunk of your points from outside the three-point line. I, I think also... It, it it helps that everybody, including us, really talks about how Pons is is everything to that team. When I think at the beginning of the year we had talked about, you know, even though Lavette is gone, Justin Simon and Marvin Clark both coming to St. John's from winning programs that could be pieces that would help St. John's figure out how to become a winning program. It obviously took a while. But, you know, these are guys that I know at the end of games have got, you know, some experience under their belt playing for the Sean Millers and the Tom Izzo's of the world. Uh, and also uh, Bashir Ahmed, uh, who's a, a senior, he made some huge baskets against uh, Duke, obviously, played a good amount of minutes against Villanova as well. So, I mean, they've just got pieces that are clicking together. They were getting close to winning games before the Duke game. And, and now they're really rolling. And it, and it helps, obviously, that Pons over the last three games is averaging, like, 35 points per game or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, again, it took Jalen Brunson and Dante DiVincenzo going a combined two for 16 from three. You know, and, and uh, Bridges going one for five. Spellman going one for six. You know, like they're starting five. What what, is, what are those numbers? Three for thirty, four for thirty-seven from three. No, four for twenty-seven from three. By their starting five. So so, I I don't know I don't know what to gather from that. I mean, obviously St. John's is not a uh, an NCAA team. It it wouldn't be surprising to me, honestly, like if they could pull together, let's say, a winning record. If the NIT would just be like, hey, just come on in and have some fun. Sure. They would love you know, they'd have the yeah. They'd have the worst record in the NIT by far, but all, all the same, I mean, that's the NIT wants the eyeballs on it, and if you've got a team that beat Duke and beat Villanova at Villanova, I mean, that's – And Nebraska, get some eyeballs. And they just – what, 20 wins now in the season? They look more like yeah, a Yeah, and Nebraska, team, so, that's true. Yeah, yeah. And, you know uh, – Marquette's an, an NIT team also. You know, mm-hmm. nothing to sneeze at beating Marquette as well. Right. So, yeah, uh, he was definitely on my list. So I'll, I'll, put, I'll put somebody else in there uh, instead. I'll go with another guy who I guess is similar to Shamori Pons in that he scored a lot of points against Duke, and that's Kai Bowman uh, of Boston College. 
uh, 24 points, 12 rebounds, and 6 assists. And their big upset over Miami, which was one of my Onions picks, let the record show. Uh, you know, Boston College could realistically make the NIT this year also, which, again, considering Christian was absolutely a heavy favorite to be fired at the end of the season, mm-hmm. I think that would be a huge, huge win for him. So uh, Miami is, is is struggling a little bit. I, I think that they're just not as sexy as I think uh, – people wanted them to be that I wanted them to be especially without Bruce Brown uh you know with Bruce Brown out it, it's a lot of Chris likes it's a lot of uh Jaquan Newton Lonnie Walker has been very up and down uh Hewell is obviously pretty good inside he had a terrible game against Boston College uh, but yeah Kai Bowman I, I want to know how Kai Bowman I don't know what his rebound per game number is but he's had multiple games this year where he's had double digit rebounds as a 6-1 guard you know, he's like 185 pounds soaking wet if he's that. You know what I mean? And he's and he's had multiple double-digit board games this year. So, so good for him. And like I said, great news for Boston College, obviously. Uh, projected right now, Ken Palm, 18 and 13, 8 and 10 in the ACC. That would definitely get them into the, uh, to the NIT without question. And... Yeah, just a huge improvement for Christian. I mean, last year they were 9 and 23. Like they could very very realistically double their win total this year, which would be great. So So good for them and uh, all of their people will be back next year. Kai Bowman will be back. Uh, Jerome Robinson will be back. Jordan Chapman will be back. Uh, so all of their key pieces will return for Boston College, which is again great for them, great for the ACC. Uh, who's your next guy, KB? Well, next guy will be Georgetown's Marcus Derrickson. Uh, 22 points, 18 rebounds, and the game-winning three-pointer in the Hoyas' 83-80 win over Seton Hall. Um, he also had 27 points and seven rebounds in their 87-83 win over Butler tonight. He's playing out of his mind. So is what's, the, what's your uh, analysis on, you know, Georgetown now has had, what, two, two big wins in a row now? Were those wins mm-hmm. back-to-back? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sitting at uh, fifteen and ten, five and nine in conference, uh, a couple of tough games coming up: the Xavier game at home, and then Villanova on the road. Uh, but realistically, you know, seventeen wins is is certainly in play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do you expect that if they were at seventeen and twelve, seven and eleven in in conference, do you think that's good enough for the NIT, or uh, it's I'm, probably I'm more? At this point, they they've uh, they've uh, guaranteed a 500 record for the regular season, um, and I think that ultimately is going to be good enough to get them in NIT. Um, of course, they don't have the you know the name cachet that they had in the 90s and um, even early on in the 2000s, but uh, you know it's still Georgetown. Um, they're playing a whole lot better um, as the season winds down, and I think that. Uh, they could just get two more wins. I think that should be good enough to get them to the NIT and come into the season. I didn't even think that was a possibility. So, For sure. um, you know, any extra basketball he can get these guys at the end of the season, I think will be a bonus. Um, you know, and just seeing this, the development of this team over the course of the season, it's been a joy to watch. I mean, just from a aesthetic viewpoint, it's just, it's night and day between watching games this season and watching games last season. Like, I actually enjoy watching this team play now. They push the ball when the opportunity's available. A lot of very good early offense. 
seeing Marcus um, Derrickson play like, you know, the, like the player that I always thought he could be, you know, seeing him going back to his freshman year at Paul to 16 in the area. Um, even when he committed, I was just, I couldn't believe it because I was like, I think this dude can be a star, you know, and he's one of those guys that I believe is going to be a true national crew, somebody we're going to have to battle blue bloods for, um, you know, Kevin Brodus, who's now running, did a really good job recruiting him. Um, and now just to see him play the way that he's been playing, you know, it, it's, it's just it's just something to really see. And um, Jamarco Pickett, the freshman, has been developing. He had an off night tonight, but a lot of guys have been stepping up. Who, you know, we can't wait for these guys to play the way they've been playing all season. Trey Dickinson, the grad transfer from South Dakota, was a real good spark plug for us off the bench tonight. He played out of his mind. Um, you know, Jesse Goldman has been solid. You know, I, I expect a little bit more out of him, but he had a really good solid um, game tonight. So, yeah, I mean, just, again, just the development over the course of the season. All I asked for was that they showed signs of improvement, and they've shown it. And, um, you know, I, I'm just waiting for the talent upgrades. I think that once we upgrade that point guard and we can get some consistent three-point shooting from our wings, I think this team is going to be uh, going to be right back in the thick of things. So, two questions: One, do you expect Govan to return for his senior year? Yeah, no doubt about it. He's not ready. And uh, number two, if they did not make the NIT, do you think they would accept an invitation to the CIT? Um, I think they would. Um, I believe that's just to get the extra basketball. Just to get the extra basketball in, yeah. So I think they would. Yeah, but I do think they're going to be an NIT team. Yeah, they've got a they got a chance of finishing, I think, realistically as high as seventh in the Big East. I feel like if you get to seventh in the Big East, that's unquestionably an NIT roster. It there. should be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh great. Um, my next guy, Cameron Lard, Iowa State. I mentioned him on the show last week. I'm gonna start with my onions picks that came true. Just to pat myself on the back a little bit. Nineteen and seventeen with three assists and two blocks. And their big upset over Oklahoma. Uh, I mentioned before the game, I thought Cameron Lard was better than Kadeem Latin. Uh, I'm really, really impressed with this kid. Uh, Iowa State is low-key really dangerous. Um, I, I think that because their record is bad, I, that people don't realize just how much talent is on that roster. I mean, Lindell Wigginton is incredibly talented. Uh, he, I mean, theoretically could leave at the end of the season. I sort of expect him to come back. Cameron Lard definitely is playing like he could be a future professional basketball player. Donovan Jackson is a senior. He's not coming back, but he's been really good. Uh, Nick Weiler-Babb I expect to come back. Solomon Young uh, should be back. Uh, Zoran Tali uh, is another guy who I really like who should be back. Uh, they've got a lot of guys who will be returning next year. And they've rattled off some really good wins. They beat Oklahoma. They beat Texas Tech. They beat West Virginia. They beat Baylor. Like, at home, they're they're making Hilton magic happen in Ames, despite the fact that this is a pretty down year. And, you know, they're playing Kansas maybe right now. Um, I'm not watching the game. I'll watch it after we record. Uh, but, again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Iowa State was able to beat Kansas as well at home. I mean, they're just really, really – tough and they've got much more talent than their record indicates so i mean honestly outside of one loss to milwaukee which was the second game of the season for them outside of that every single loss they have is completely forgivable none of the losses from there are bad so i mean that's just saying a lot for steve prome i think and again next year uh, especially if wigginton and lard both come back i, I would sort of expect that they would um, 
they're going to be really, really dangerous in Big 12 play. And in regards to Oklahoma, uh, you know, I did not see – I don't want to know what the end score was, so don't spoil the KB if you know it. Uh, the Texas Tech-Oklahoma game that's going on right now, I know it was close. Um, you know, I think teams are figuring out – how to key in on Trey Young, especially on the road, how to make him struggle, how to force him to shoot those 35-footers. Yeah, he's going to make some, but he's also going to, you know, brick a lot of them. I know that in today's game, I, I haven't seen the last few minutes of it, but I think he was like 0 for 8 when I stopped watching from 3, something like this. He, he, they were really, really pressuring him to not take clean looks from 3, uh, which really limits his efficacy. So... Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Oklahoma does down the stretch. You know, I'm I'm sure you saw KB that top 16 seed reveal that they uh, that they do, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and they said that Oklahoma is currently a four seed. I think a lot of people were a little surprised by that, considering that they have eight losses, uh, that they're sort of 500 in conference, that they would be a four seed. Um, you know, but they've got a lot of good wins, big wins. Uh, that having been said, you know, if they finish the season around 19, 11, 18, and 12, which is not impossible, you know, then you're looking at them going from an overrated four seed to maybe a very dangerously underrated, like, six or seven seed that, that nobody would really want to draw on their side of the bracket. So it'll be interesting to see how they finish the year and, and, and what will happen there. Uh, who's next on your list, KP? Um, I had Miles Bridges, Michigan State, 25 points, four rebounds, four assists. And the Spartans, 19-19, went over Iowa, and he followed it up with 20 points, and the game went in three with two seconds left in there. 68-65 went over Purdue. What did you think of this uh, Purdue-Michigan State ending, KB? Um, I didn't expect him to make that shot, to be honest with you. Um, I think It was a uh, bad shot. It was a really bad shot, and I think Purdue would have taken that shot at that point in the game all day, but he made it. Um, wasn't surprising to see Michigan State beat Purdue. Just surprised that that shot went in. What did you think of the strategy that Purdue was uh, executing down the line in which uh, they, they took very few threes down the stretch? They were pretty content to feed Isaac Haas. Isaac Haas, who had a great game. I mean, he scored like close to 30 points, if memory serves. Um, but their shot chart in the second half, which matches what I was watching with my eyes, was they weren't really taking any threes anymore. They were just... They saw that, you know, uh, Schilling and Carter and uh, Ward were defending Haas one-on-one. -on -one, so they just yeah, kept they dumping it in. down. Yeah, they yeah. were doubling. And, you know, I don't think you actually have to double him every single time he touches the ball. But if you are going to single cover him, you know, we talk about this, how massive he is. Just if he gets he's so deep. Big. He's so Yeah, if he just gets deep, like, yeah, you feed him the ball. I don't have a problem with it so much, the strategy, um, if he's, you know, got it going. But, you know, if he doesn't have it going, you know, at some point, if he's they're not going to double him, guys aren't really open for threes, you know. And, um, right. you know. Yeah. It was a, I, it was a gamble. It was a gamble that, uh, that Izzo made and it paid off. Yeah, I was wondering when they did it like the seventh or eighth time in a row. You know, I, like I get if it's working, keep doing it. And a lot of those baskets were going in. I – you know, and occasionally they weren't, but they just kept dumping it back down. I, I just wonder if they had had, you know, one of the Edwardses, you know, maybe do a little dribble drive, kick out. Maybe it would have, you know, maybe opened up even more room for Haas because I definitely felt like towards the end, even though they weren't bringing the double team, they were still, you know, closing. They, they, it, 
they knew what was going to happen. And when you know what the offense is going to do, even if it is somebody who is making a lot of those baskets and is really hard to defend, I do feel like it became a little predictable, um, in which case, you know, you, you open yourself up to being beat, especially on the road. I think Purdue's the better basketball team, uh, without question in my mind, honestly. But, uh, yeah, I, I was interested in that move. I'm not convinced I would have done it differently necessarily, but right. – uh, maybe I would have thrown in just a couple of threes just to just to keep the defense guessing a tiny bit more than they had to. I don't know. Uh, let's see. I've got Terry Maston of Baylor, 26.6 rebounds in the double overtime win at Texas. Uh, you know, I started watching at the towards the end of regulation here. This was a game that in double overtime with about three minutes left had still not hit the over. The over was something like 140 total points. And at, with like three minutes left in double overtime, it was like 66-66. And I was sitting there going, Jesus Christ. Um, but down the stretch in the second overtime in particular, Mastin was pretty unstoppable. Uh, they were doing the Isaac Haas. They were just giving it to Mastin and letting him work, and he was finishing it out, uh, which is a great thing to do. I, Dylan Ozitkowski of Texas. You know, I'm, I, I know he's made some shots, and I know that he's good. I feel like every time I've seen Texas play, he's taking four or five three-pointers, and none of them are going in. Like, I know I had a bunch – when I tweeted that out, I had a bunch of Iowa State fans be like, he made seven threes against Iowa State. Okay, so he got hot that one time. But, like, I looked up his numbers. He's made, I think, 27 threes on the season. So that means seven of them were in one game. <laughs> like, I'm just – I'm not convinced that him taking a three-pointer is something that mm. he should ever really be doing, especially when you've got guys like Kerwin Roach, when Mo Bamba really had it going earlier in the game. Um yeah, I, I know people are sort of enamored with the fact that he's sort of a versatile four who can pass, who can theoretically shoot the three, who can drive. Uh, but as someone who's seen him in person and now who's seen him a couple of times uh, in games, I, I'm not overly impressed. I think his his high volume of shots is, is not a, a benefit to Texas, in my opinion. But that's just me. Uh, who else do you have, Kibby? Uh, Justin Robinson from Virginia Tech, 32 points. And the Hokies, 85-75, went over NC State, and he followed up with 20 points and 7 assists. And there is 61-60 overtime win over Virginia. In Charlottesville, by the way. Mm. Yeah, I picked the wrong onions upset for Virginia. Mm -hmm. I picked the wrong one. I, somebody pointed out on Twitter, and I don't remember who, Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome, and uh, Devin Hall over the last three or four games are shooting a really low percent. And, and Guy in particular in the Virginia Tech game was pretty dreadful. Um, and then Jerome, who I really like, took that really, really terrible shot at the end of the game. Just a, a head-scratcher of a decision on his part. Um, maybe he thought because he made the one against Duke that he could do it again against Virginia Tech, and it was, it was not close. Uh... Yeah, I, I think Virginia Tech's fine, though. So, or I think Virginia Tech's good. I think Virginia is fine. I don't think they need to worry about losing a game like that. It does make me worried about playing Virginia Tech in Cameron Indoor Stadium tomorrow. It, it should. So, yeah. Justin Robinson is definitely one of those guys. Like I said, mm -hmm. if there were three names at the beginning of the season, I would have said Shamori Pons, 
I would have said Sheldon Mitchell of Clemson, and I would say Justin Robinson of Virginia Tech. Those are the three guys that I would expect to do 30-plus points against Duke this season. So we'll see what K busts out of his old bag. We'll find out. Uh, I'm going to go with Marcus Foster as my next guy. 29 points and eight rebounds in the loss to Xavier. Now, uh, KB, did you see the end of this Xavier Creighton game? I didn't see the end of it. I saw bits and pieces. I didn't see the end. Okay. Uh, A few controversial foul calls down the stretch. Uh, In particular, the final one. Creighton took a three and was fouled in the process of shooting by Xavier with, let's say, like, Five seconds left, six seconds left. But it was clearly a foul. They hit him, right? So then he took three. I know that at the end of the games, a lot of times people are like, don't make the call. You should make the call when it's something obvious. You hit the guy on the arm, that's that, right? Um, Quentin Gooden drives down the other way, just sort of drives into traffic, drives into somebody whose arms are up, and they called a foul with four-tenths of a second left. Mm. Sending Gooden to the line, he made both free throws, credit to him, and Xavier wins the game. I I thought, regardless of when it is during the game, that would have been a bad foul call, and then to make that foul call with four-tenths of a second left, I thought was egregious. And it's not just because I had Creighton as an Onions upset pick, although that that did help my outrage. But if you're going to blow the whistle at the end, you got to make sure that that's a foul, man. you got to make sure because that's the type of thing that, I mean, uh, what's Creighton's record? I mean, uh, I feel like Creighton is not necessarily a tournament lock at this point, are they? I wouldn't say they are. I don't know if they're a lock. I mean, they're probably in pretty good shape would be my guess. Yeah, they're in real good shape in the tournament. I'd be stunned if they didn't make it, but I wouldn't say they're an absolute lock. Yeah, I mean, that's just – that's such an opportunity for a big victory that they should have had. That's just <laughs> like I, I I don't like blaming the refs ever. I always think that's sort of a cheap way out. But like the refs were wrong. Creighton won that game in my mind. There's no way around it. They would have had six losses right now instead of seven. They've got a stretch run. You know, theoretically they could finish with about ten losses. You know, if they lose, like, first game of the Big East, if they drop, like, a dumb one in the first game of the Big East tournament, yeah, they're probably still in as, like, a 9-10, whatever, but they'll probably be sweating a little more than they want to. And, again, these are the sorts of games that determine those things. So, Marcus Foster played out of his mind. Foster was incredible. Obviously, who made a big play down at the end for Xavier? J.P. Makura, obviously. Um... But, I'll yeah, this, I mean, Xavier played about, pretty well, too. But. I'll say this about Foster. He's one of those guys. I don't know what his percentages are on the season, but whenever he shoots a three and he even gets, like, the slightest bit of an opening, I feel like it's going in. Like, he can heat up that fast, and he, 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 can, he can really, really score the basketball. I'll say that. He's had such a great trajectory, too. I mean, like, you know, we talked about him when he was, you know, an underclassman at Kansas State. And, you know, how terrific his freshman year was. And then his sophomore year, he, he had a bad year. And, and the team sort of fell apart, and he took a lot of the blame for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he transferred right away. Um, last year, he did a really admirable job picking up the pieces when uh, Mo Watson went down. Yep. Uh, and this year, yeah, he's shooting 45% from three, above 45%, yeah. on 170 attempts. Yeah, sounds about right. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's very good. Very good. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, considering he takes uh, a lot of shots, uh, he is a very very high usage player for uh, for Creighton, and the fact that uh, defenses know that he's getting the ball and uh, and still, uh, I also really like Kyrie Thomas as well. Uh, I think that he'll be great to watch next year when the team is his. Um, you know, he's another guy. He's shooting 41% from three on a lot of attempts as well. Uh, and I definitely think he's he's ready to, to pick up the torch and run with it. He, he does it on both ends. He's a tremendous defender. Tremendous. He's a great defender as well, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, do you have another one, KB, or, or did I you do. have five already? Uh, my last guy is Luke May, North Carolina. Uh, 15 points, eight boards in the Tar Heels, 82-71 over Duke, and he followed it up with 33 points and 17 boards in the 96-89 one over NC State. Yeah, uh, I, I don't have much to add on the Duke-UNC game. <laughs> uh, other than, one, they could they should have zoned from the beginning. We talked mm-hmm. about this last week. Mm-hmm. There was no reason not to, uh, but, they, but he went man-to-man anyway. And... At the beginning of the second half, it was just a five-minute bad run. That's all it takes. Duke had like something like a ten-point lead, something like this, and then all of a sudden, UNC is up like seven or something. They had like a seventeen to zero, seventeen to two run in like the first five minutes of the second half, and then you're playing from behind in the Dean Dome uh, against a team with experience. So I, uh, you know, Duke's only chance of winning that game was just maintaining that lead. And they came out flat. They paid the price for it. I, I still think that if they had zoned, that that does not happen. Uh, I'm very confident in that. It took UNC having their best game in terms of the fewest turnovers that they've had in in years and making way above their three-point average. I think they made like 11 threes, 12 threes. Kenny Williams made like six threes by himself. I mean, so a lot of things went right for UNC, and a lot of things went wrong for Duke. Uh, and, you know, UNC made a lot of those things go wrong for Duke, to UNC's credit. But uh, I feel slightly encouraged by the fact that Duke played Georgia Tech uh, a few days later, and they opened the game in zone and just zoned the entire game. And hopefully that's Coach K's way of saying, okay, <laughs> fuck this. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not working. <laughs> we need wins. That's what I'm hoping anyway. Uh, he also changed up the starting lineup, which will be a very interesting thing to see going forward, whether he sticks with that lineup uh, to some extent. Did you see that, KB, that, they tink- that he tinkered? Mm, a little bit. Yeah, uh, talking with Sam and Mark a lot about you know who gets the blame, and obviously a lot of Duke fans want to blame uh, Trayvon Duvall, who has not been very good recently. Uh, I, I, I struggle to blame him entirely. I don't think it's his fault, uh, but I do think that him coming off the bench might might. Uh, jar some of his bad habits away potentially or at least that's my hope because I, I don't think Duke has a chance of winning the national championship unless Duval plays really good point guard play for Duke because I do not think Grayson Allen is a point guard so we'll see what happens there uh, my last guy Trey Holder Arizona State 22 points four rebounds three assists including the game winner 
in the comeback over USC. USC was up seven points with a little over two minutes left. And while that was not the biggest comeback of the week, we'll talk about another one in a bit, I, I definitely thought that this game was over. And all it took was you make a three, you turn them over real quick, make a three, turn them over again, make, <laughs> make another basket. Shannon Evans, Remy Martin, Trey Holder. I mean, that's a very potent threesome going into March. Uh, they even survived a very ooh-child-esque performance from Cody Justice, who couldn't hit the broadside of a barn in this game. Uh, and for USC, uh, their their best win is at Oregon. It's not a great resume that they've put together so far this year for Andy Enfield's group. So I'm I'm betting that the people there are probably chalking up this season as a disappointment. I think that would be safe to say. But they could make a run in, in March, and then everyone will forget what happened in the regular season. That's what those runs do. Ask Syracuse from a couple of years ago. Um, anybody else worth noting? I don't think there's – I can't think of anybody. I, I, I'll, just, I'll just point out, uh, and again, this is – he's not really like a, an Ali Farouk Manesh award winner, but it, uh, I watched this game and I was really impressed with him. Justin Tillman of VCU – uh, had 37 points and eight rebounds in uh, their overtime win over Dayton. Uh, Virginia Tech, not uh, or VCU, not an NCAA tournament team as constructed. But I do think the Atlantic 10 is definitely one of those conferences where because it's like Rhode Island is going to get an automatic bid, that's definitely a place where somebody can steal a bubble slot from somebody else. And VCU definitely has some experience under its belt and is one of the types of teams that I think could, you know, maybe knock off Rhode Island, make a run, and then, you know, steal a bubble slot from somebody else with their automatic tournament championship. Um, yeah, he, he was just out of his gourd in this game. Uh, and, yeah, one other guy that I'm going to point out as well, TJ Starks of Texas A&M, 23 points, two rebounds, two assists in their upset on the road of Auburn, which was definitely not one of my onions picks. I did not see that coming. And then 17 points and four assists in the win over Kentucky. Uh, you know, coming into the season, when we talked about Texas A&M early on, we talked a lot about Robert Williams, Tyler Davis, DJ Hogue, uh, J.J. Caldwell, who's not on the team anymore, uh, who got dismissed. Uh, T.J. Starks has been their best player the last few games, uh, you know, which is obviously great for a, you know, for a, Texas A&M team that is really desperate to capitalize on their talent and make a run this year. Uh, they're currently projected to finish 21-10. and 10. And Kentucky, you know, we talked about earlier, their schedule is not going to get any easier down the stretch. I, I'll say this. They're very, very thankful that they've got that win at West Virginia. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to that's gonna help their seeding be something other than really bad. Without that win, I think – they would be they would be in bad shape in terms of seeding. So I don't know what to say about Kentucky, KB. I'm not gonna say anything. <laughs> You're trying to keep your integrity uh yeah, ranking. That's it. And I don't want to feel like arguing all day tomorrow, so I'm not gonna say anything. It kinda is what it is. He's he's been to his credit, he's definitely been He's been tweeting a lot of pouty shit the last week or two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I don't think he would disagree with any criticism that we would lobby at at, at the current state of affairs. Okay. 
Um, your elite eight, KB. Your top eight teams in the country today. Uh, number eight would be Gonzaga. Seven. I'm going to flip flop. I'm gonna put. Uh, I'm gonna put Purdue at seven. I'm gonna have Texas Tech at six. Xavier five. Cincy four. Virginia three. Nova two. Michigan State one. Okay, this is gonna be great. I've got Michigan State as number eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I had them at nine last week, and you know if if Miles Bridges doesn't make a bad shot, then they're probably dropping in the poll in, in my poll instead of going you know up. So I'll I'll put them up a point. Um, number seven Cincinnati. Number six I've got Texas Tech. Uh, they got a one game. Well, again I have not seen the end result of the Oklahoma game, but as of my ignorant recording, they have a one game lead in the Big Twelve. Uh, which is really great for them. Uh, number five, I've got Auburn. By the way, Kansas, did you see that Bill Self had some speech or something where he was like, you know, not not every year can work out the way that we want or whatever. Mm-hmm. I wanted to just be like the audacity of Kansas fans to be like, what's gone wrong? We're <laughs> one game out of the championship. We need yeah. to reexamine everything that's happening in Kansas right now. God damn it, Kansas fans. Number five is Auburn. Number four is Xavier. Uh, and my number three, uh, my three, two, and one, even though they all lost, I, I still feel like they're the three best teams. Uh, number three, I've got Villanova. Number two, I've got Purdue. And number one, I've got Virginia. Uh, I was really surprised looking at Virginia's resume. Virginia's got like seven quadrant one wins and like seven quadrant two wins. They, they've got a lot of wins against very good teams. So... Despite what many people will uh, call an offense that is ugly and being skeptical about their uh, ability to win in March, uh, I'm not saying that I disagree with that skepticism, but they've got easily the best resume for number one, in my opinion, right now. Ooh, Child Award, uh, I've got one. uh, You already sort of touched on it. Vincent Edwards, uh, he was 6 for 23 shooting. Uh, in their losses to Ohio State and Michigan State. And, yeah, I I still think Purdue is the most balanced team in the country, and uh, I'm not going to punish them for the fact that they lost by a combined four points to two top ten teams. So there it is. Uh, I don't have any other award winners this week, but I'm going to invent an award, KB. I'm going to call this the... J. Will Miracle Comeback Award. Okay. Uh, and this award is going to go to Bucknell. Uh, do you know the Bucknell mascot, KB? It'd be the bison. That would be the bison. Nicely done. Bucknell was down eight with 22 seconds left to Colgate. Oh, I don't know the Colgate mascot. Do you know the Colgate mascot? Uh, Red Raiders. I, I'll believe you. <laughs> I, don't have I, I, I think I think that's what it is. Hold on. I was I was gonna guess the toothpaste, um, but yeah, Bucknell yeah, came Raiders. back. Yeah, Raiders. Hey, that's cool. that's better than I would have done. Uh, the fact that they were down eight with twenty two seconds left and they came back and won that game, that's obscene. That that to me is a borderline fireable offense. <laughs> How in the world does that happen? Um. You know, if you look at, like, the uh, probability chart on Ken Palm for this game, it, it is 
like as high as it can get for Colgate to win that game. I've never seen it higher. So, yeah, up until like three seconds left, Colgate was like a 99% victor. Uh, yeah, so congrats to the Bison. Nicely done. Who's their uh, – they've got one player in the NBA right now, I believe, uh, KB. Do you know who that is? Uh, one player from Bucknell in the NBA? Yes, sir. Um, it's my, uh, it's my guy he plays for the Hawks center. Uh, he does. What is his name? What is his name? What is his name? Double M are the I initials. Of... Um, dude, I'm having such a brain freeze right now. <laughs> and I really liked him coming out of college. He's actually somebody yeah. that wanted the Wizards to draft in the second round. I cannot think of his name. Mike Muscala. Mike Muscala. Jesus Christ. What is wrong with me tonight? <laughs> it's it's late. It's late. Uh, yeah. Uh, I've got no other award winners this week. Let's go straight to the games, KB. Seton Hall at Xavier. Uh, Yeah, this is one of my audience picks of the week. I'm going with Seton Hall. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Why 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 Seton Hall over Xavier at Xavier? I I think they're mad as hell about how the game against Georgetown ended on Saturday. Um, I think they have the uh, players they can throw at Trayvon Blue to kind of slow him down a little bit. And I just think overall, this is one of those games where, again, it's a team that's looking for a signature win heading into uh, heading into March, and I think there's a golden opportunity. I think they're going to come out with a victory. They have lost three in a row, so they're definitely angry. Uh, however, they yeah. lost by nine at home to Xavier earlier this year. Uh, mm -hmm. I am inclined to pick Xavier in this game. Okay. Kentucky at Auburn. Uh, I'm going with Auburn. Yeah, this one uh, is a no-brainer for me. Kentucky's just going to be one of those teams that could win any of these games because they've got a bunch of raw talent there, but it's just going to be really, really hard to bet on them to win any of these games. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to take Auburn here. Cincinnati at Houston. Tempted, but I'm going to go with Cincinnati. Yeah, I'll take Houston. I mean, I, I think that Cincinnati's playing out of their mind. And, and frankly, if they make it out of this week with uh, without losing a game, they might be in really sincere play for a one seed. I mean, do you do you think if they win out that they're a one seed? They don't really have – they're not going to have many, like, signature wins over big-name teams. I mean, their best wins are going to be things like – uh, UCLA on the road, uh, obviously Wichita State on the road if they win that mm -hmm. one. Um, but, I mean, I feel like if they make it to March with only two losses, uh, how do you prevent them from getting a one seed? I think it's, a lot is going to depend on how Michigan State ends their season, how Purdue ends their season, and how Xavier ends their season. I think if, you know, Villanova, say Villanova Xavier meet each other in the Big East Tournament Final, and Villanova wins, but Xavier is, like, on a huge winning streak up to that point. Xavier may be in a play for one over Cincinnati. Um, Michigan State, if they went out, they would be in a play in play for a number one seed over um, Cincinnati, Virginia. They'd be in play for a number one seed. So, I think their teams, I mean, you know, not to discount Purdue, not to discount Texas Tech. So, I think there may be teams just by the, just the sheer – number of quality wins on their resume, strength of schedule, I think maybe in play over Cincinnati, even if they still finish with two losses. That's just the nature of playing in the in the conference that they play in. 
I'm so glad you brought up Michigan State, KB, because I wanted to touch on this. Uh, so if if Cincinnati wins out, uh, which is doable, right? If Cincinnati wins out, they will have five uh, quadrant one wins. What the, what the you know what the committee is looking for, right? Five quadrant one wins. Michigan State, if they win out will have achieved four quadrant one wins. I think people, despite the fact that Michigan State, because it's Michigan State, right, uh, So mm-hmm. and, they, and they beat North Carolina, they've got a good best win, right? But Michigan State at this point, uh, if you look at, like, who the one seeds are, Virginia's got something like seven quadrant, win one, uh, quadrant one wins, like seven quadrant two. Purdue has something very similar. They've got, like, six quadrant one wins. Auburn has, like, five quadrant one wins. Kansas has, like, nine, even though they're not, you know, uh, a one seed right now. They've got a lot of big wins. Xavier's got seven quadrant one wins, seven quadrant two wins, zero home losses, zero bad losses. So, I mean, right now, I I think they've got a really good resume. Yeah, that's a one resume right there. That's a one resume. Michigan State has three quadrant one wins and six quadrant two wins. And – They've only played five Quadrant One games all season. So to, so to put it another way, Duke at this point has lost as many Quadrant One games as Michigan State has played all season. Hmm. And they only have one more Quadrant One game at Northwestern, which if Northwestern doesn't close well the end of the season, could end up slipping below that. So, I mean, hmm. they theoretically could have played only five quadrant one games all season long and only have three quadrant one wins that's a mid-major resume like that's the kind of resume that people used to roast like saint mary's for having you know what i mean like it's not their fault that the big 10 is down but if michigan state wins out and cincinnati wins out despite the fact that cincinnati has the quote-unquote non-major conference I feel like Cincinnati would absolutely have the better resume under their belts. Like, they would have more Quadrant 1 wins, and they would have fewer losses. Just you putting it the out case. there. You made I've the made case. the case. Right. I think Xavier is in great shape. I think I think if Villanova-Xavier make it to the Big East Finals, if Xavier does really well, if they end with, let's say, like four losses – and they make it to the finals and lose to Xavier, I still think they're probably in really good shape for that one seed. Mm-hmm. I think Virginia, Villanova, and Purdue would have to do a lot to lose their one seed at this point. And so then it's going to come down to, like, Xavier. Uh, I, I really don't think Duke has a chance anymore at one. I think that Kansas low-key still has one because they have so many good wins that even if they end with, like, eight losses, something like this, they could be that team that everyone's really mad because the loss total is high, but their good win total is really high as well. Uh, so I wouldn't rule them out. And then obviously Cincinnati. I think Texas Tech is in a bit of a precarious situation right now. Even if they win the Big 12, uh, nah, if they win the Big 12, they'll be in pretty good shape too. But right now I think they have like four Quadrant 1 wins. They don't have a lot at this point. So we'll see. Um. I'm just grateful that they're no longer using the RPI exclusively, that they are now using this quadrant system, which is still not perfect, 
but at least it considers the difficulty of winning on the road. I think that will give a much truer indication of how difficult these uh, these people's schedules are. Um, great. So yeah, I, I I went with Houston because I feel like winning out is going to be very very difficult for Cincinnati. I wouldn't be. I feel like it's more realistic that they end with like four losses instead of two, and this is definitely a, a very very doable one. Rob Gray is a monster. Arizona at Arizona State. I'm go Zona. I'm going to go Arizona State at home. Uh, I'm just not thrilled by Arizona's defense in general. Arizona definitely has the size advantage, uh, but I'm I'm just not sold that their perimeter unit will be able to defend the perimeter unit of Arizona State. And even though I'm sure DeAndre Ayton is going to score a lot of points in this game, I don't really know who he can defend um, because Arizona State's not really going to play the type of game where Aiton's defense, uh, where his potential for defense will be best utilized. So uh, I'm going to take the Sun Devils on this one. Villanova at Xavier. Here's a here's a big one here. I'm going to uh, go Nova. Yeah, I if I recall correctly, I, I don't know the numbers, KB. You'd probably have a better approximation than I would. But Villanova tends to beat Xavier. More mm-hmm. often than not. Yeah? Yep. Um, yeah, with that being the case and the fact that I think that Villanova is really dangerous. Now, if Pascal and Booth are still out, uh, if both of them are out, then Villanova is going to have a really short bench, and, and I'd be more inclined to pick Xavier at home. Um, but I think Pascal theoretically should be back by then. Uh, and really I don't think just, Booth will. Yeah, Booth will not. Um, I don't think he's going to be ready for another couple of weeks. But even just having another guy who can come in and play 30 minutes, who can you know give the other guys just a couple minutes of rest here and there, uh, I think that that would make a really really big difference on the road. So uh, I'll take Villanova in that in that circumstance. UNC at Louisville. UNC. Give me the onions pick. Give me Louisville. Uh, I, Louisville's got size, uh, and they play real physical. Uh, and as UNC fans know, that tends to be what has bothered Luke May. And when Luke May is bothered and doesn't have a good game, that tends to be when UNC really struggles. Uh, compound that with the fact that I think Louisville plays a really good aggressive defense on the perimeter. Uh, I'm not convinced that they're going to have the same sorts of uh, open three-point looks that they've been able to feast on. I don't really know who Louisville is going to put up against Cameron Johnson, who's been playing really well. But at home, I'll take Louisville in this situation. Uh, West Virginia at Kansas. Going Mountaineers. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm tempted. I'm tempted. Uh, give me Kansas because it's at home. But if West Virginia wins, I would not be surprised in the slightest. Texas Tech at Baylor. Uh, Texas Tech. Yeah, I'll take Texas Tech here as well. I, I believe in them. Alabama at Kentucky. I'm going to take Kentucky. I'm going to take Alabama. Uh, I think the the length, I think Alabama is one of the few teams in the SEC that can play with the type of athleticism and length that Kentucky brings to the table. And I, and I just think Alabama, when they're on, they can beat just about anybody in the country. Duke at Clemson. Uh, I, this will be onions. I'm going Clemson. It's not a bad pick. That's not a bad pick at all. Um, if Dante Grantham was playing, I would I would immediately agree. 
Uh, the fact that he's not means they're a little less athletic, and, and he would have been a, a nightmare matchup for our wings. Uh, yeah. I'm tempted to say Clemson as well. I would definitely take Clemson with the points uh, if I was gambling. Uh, will Bagley be back? There's a lot of question marks around Duke right now. I think Clemson is the safer pick, so I'll put that. However... Duke comes out in that zone from, from minute one. I feel good about Duke in that scenario. We'll see what they do. Ohio State at Michigan. Ohio State. Yeah, I'm going to go Ohio State as well, uh, despite the fact that I think Michigan is sort of sneaky good. They're, like, under the radar. I think they cracked the top 25 this week. Um, so this will definitely be a big challenge for Ohio State. I think they're up for it. I don't know who defensively can stop uh, Bates job. Wichita State at Cincinnati. I'm going Cincy. Yeah, I, I liked Wichita State coming into the year to be better than what they have been, uh, but this is definitely one that I circled as a loss preseason. Uh, I'm going to go Cincinnati as well. Oklahoma at Kansas. Kansas. Yeah, Oklahoma has been struggling on the road. Give me Kansas. West Virginia at Baylor. West Virginia. You know, give me Baylor at home on this one. Uh, as a, a bit of an onions pick here, uh, you know, LeCompte definitely is prone to making a lot of turnovers, uh, but I like their down low play. Uh, I like Nuni Ahmad and Terry Maston, uh, I think are better than like Asa Ahmad and like who they have in sort of the middle of the West Virginia lineup. And uh, I think Lualach Wheel and uh, Sag Kanate is going to be a really great matchup. Uh, give me Baylor in this one. Creighton at Butler. I'm go Creighton. You know, it's at Butler. Uh, Butler, as we've said over and over again on this podcast, they just they play like assholes. Uh, I like Butler at home here. Uh, and Kentucky at Arkansas. I'm going to Arkansas. Yeah, I'm going to go Arkansas as well. Their, their guard play has just been outstanding, and I think Gafford has been better down low than any of the Kentucky bigs have been so far this season, at least in terms of consistency. Uh, Kentucky's best bet there is going to be to get Gafford in foul trouble, which he's definitely capable of doing. Uh, any other Onions picks, KB, or is that what you've got? That's what I got. I've got two more that I want to throw out there. Uh, this one's sort of small because uh, Nevada's ranked on the low end of uh, the top 25, but I like Boise State over Nevada. I think Boise State is sort of under the radar as the type of team who uh, has a very real shot at making the tournament and being a Cinderella story. Uh, so give me uh, them to win at home over Nevada. And then sort of the more surprising uh, upset pick that I'm going to pick here, give me St. Bonaventure over Rhode Island. Uh, Jalen Adams uh, is a monster. And uh, I think that he can be very hard to stop, especially at home. Uh, Rhode Island is very talented. I, I believe they will also do some damage in the tournament. Uh, but if there's one guy in the A-10 who can really go off, it's that guy on the Bonnies right there. So give me them uh, to to knock Rhode Island on its butt a little bit. Those are my Onions picks. That is the week in basketball. KB, where can the good people find you? Um, every Thursday morning on the Five Starter Podcast. Um, let's go to Hot Five Starter on you know, iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts at. And they can follow me on Twitter at KBADS. That's K-B-A-D-D-S. And I'll see you good people next week. Now, now, remind me, who's who's the person on the podcast with the pro-Anthony Mackey agenda? Uh, that would be Ba. 
And so you're you're in the pro Chadwick Boseman camp. That is correct. Okay. And that that agenda effectively um, is dead this week. <laughs> what you mean the the Falcon solo movie wouldn't open to 170 million dollars uh, at the box office? <laughs> Shekels, I don't know. Pesos, I don't know. <laughs> Yen, you know. Yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. You mean they, they they don't want to watch him fly around and shoot some guns? Hey, man, you know, fire, I'm, I'm, nothing fire, fire a drone off. <laughs> nothing against Mackie. Again, there's <laughs> never anything anti him. It's just that they aren't in the same classes, actor, box office draw. But, you know, again, that dies this week, and it's an agenda win for me. So, <laughs> Oh, I, I can't wait for the review uh, episode. I can't wait. We're uh, all going together uh, Thursday. So, oh, yeah. that's outstanding. Uh, I can't wait to hear uh, the pro Mackie spin post-movie. Sure. Because it's, it's sure. coming, and I can't wait. It's coming. Yeah. It's going to be great. Um, <laughs> uh, I've got a movie podcast uh, as well that people can listen to. We'll be seeing Black Panther this week uh, as well, obviously. Uh, except Shira hadn't bought tickets yet. Uh, <laughs> good luck to her. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I bought mine like two weeks ago. Yep. Uh, yeah, uh, that's uh, the Long and Late Movie Show uh, at Ellendale Movie Show on Twitter. That's on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play. Uh, I'm Russell H. Film on Twitter, on Instagram. You can find me all those places. Uh, and then if you like beer, Russell H. Beer on Instagram. Uh, I stay taking pictures of uh, the beer that I'm having. So uh, if you're if you're a beer fan, give it a look. Uh, if you're a basketball fan, then you should be following us everywhere you can iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play. Please leave us an iTunes review. It helps us with our visibility in the iTunes chart. We appreciate everybody who has left us iTunes reviews in the past, present, and future. Um, We are on Twitter, at Seconds, the number two madness. We try to send out as much news and game analysis as we can. Uh, So please uh, give that a follow as well. And uh, thank you, as always, to all our listeners, to everybody on Reddit who recommends us to other college basketball fans. And thank you to you, as always, KB. Appreciate it, bro. Uh, so that will do it for this episode. For KBAD, for myself, Russell Hainline, this has been 2.1 Seconds to Madness. Good night. You know my stage. Let them know. Do your thing, Keep it live. Keep it live. To the beach, y'all.